I'm very uh, grateful to uh, be here this morning and really thank Nicholas for in, inviting me. I, I spoke uh, on the Sunday after Easter as well, and I'm, I'm grateful to be able to uh, uh, do that. I feel like a, a guest speaker uh, here, and uh, I actually, I, I knew the, 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 the minister before, Nicholas, uh, and I, I, no matter what people said about him, I thought he was a nice guy. <laughs> Uh, so uh, it's really officially is next Sunday is the 47th anniversary. Not that that's a big deal by by any means. It's only it's, you know 47. I hope that we will be able to do something very special in a few years from now on a 50th uh, anniversary. I think we've accomplished quite a bit in 50 years, and just think what we can possibly do uh, in the next 50 years in being. Uh, I don't know if we're kind of an alternative church or a different kind of chapel. I've visited so many different churches since I've been retired, some 50-plus churches around the country, and, and as everyone says, this chapel is a little different, and uh, I think it's hopefully fitting a niche here in Aspen. So, if I may uh, mention another minister who had the idea of this chapel, and he was known as Bishop E.M. Yost, and there's a reason he may have used his initials initials most of his life. He was born Irvy Megley Yost in 1902 in Plymouth, Nebraska. Irvy Megley. Uh, in 1911, his family moved to Heston, Kansas, because they wanted to be closer to a church called the Meridian Church of God in Christ a Holderman Mennonite community. That's a big mouthful. When Irvy was very young, he felt a call to become a minister himself. He was elected as a minister at the age of 19 by the same church uh, in 1922. Now, this is the most conservative Mennonite church. Uh, there are different groups of Mennonites, and closest it was one closest to the Amish. And he served that congregation from then until 1927, five years. But soon after that year, and into the year 1928, he found himself in tension with some of the doctrines and traditions of this very traditional Holderman Mennonite church. He wanted greater freedom to enhance his, his speaking with study and preparation in contrast to the old Amish or Anabaptist or Mennonite position of just having the Spirit speak through you on that, maybe like a Quaker service. You know, you don't prepare. God speaks or the Spirit speaks through you. <laughs> Doesn't do that with me, but in, back then a lot of people uh, would feel that it would do it. But he said it should have some preparation and study. Uh, and he also, and most importantly, the point I want to uh, emphasize here, he could no longer affirm uh, that this particular sect of Mennonites, which they affirmed, was the one and only true Christian church. They only had about a uh, thousand uh, members, or less than 800 members uh, in that Midwest area. They still have membership. It's about 12,000 members in the entire world. But there still was this maintenance that we're the real Christian church. He couldn't do that. He knew he had his other friends who, who uh, met in school and in other places, and they were good people. They belonged to other churches. He couldn't do it. So they banned him from that church. 
In essence, he was shunned from family and the church that he grew up in because he felt that something bigger had to happen. I made contact with the minister of this church just a few days ago and asked if he knew about this. That church still exists. They're listed as 190 members. They're the ones with the hats and, you know, just like they look like Amish, but they're Mennonites. The current minister there, we emailed each other, named Sean Gessel, wrote back, I'm sure that to be censured as a minister and leader by the only church group he had known must have been difficult for him. His brothers Harvey and Alf still stayed with the church even after he left. And again, he lost part of the family because of looking towards something bigger. But did not stop E.M. Yost's desire to still be a minister. After a course of study, he was received as a minister into the more modern and mainline Mennonite church. And in April of 1943, he was ordained bishop, now they call it overseer, uh, and moved to Denver to become the Mennonite minister there. There's still a Mennonite church near downtown Denver that's very progressive. So you have two kinds of, of, of Mennonites going on here. Uh, while in Denver, he visited Aspen, established a Mennonite, was called Mennonite Voluntary Service that a group of college kids would come to after college to help, and complete with a purchase of a home on Fifth and Hallam. The Mennonites also had a hospital administration program and administrated the hospital in Aspen as well during this time. And after visiting two global conferences in Europe, one in France, where he got the vision for this chapel, and another in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, he had a vision for a more ecumenical and even interfaith chapel in Aspen, a place visited, Aspen, which is a place visited by people from all over the world. Just imagine now, being shunned by the church and family where you grew up because he could not admit that one little church could have all the answers. And now at the end of his life, he's envisioning a chapel for all people and all religions to be in dialogue with one another. Bishop E.M. Yost knew deep in his heart to look at a much bigger picture and therefore a better view. He knew this even from Kansas. He came a long way from his conservative Mennonite background. This chapel is not in Kansas anymore. It is his vision 47 years ago, which is being significantly manifested today at this chapel. We have made a good impact within Aspen. I know when, uh, when I was here in, in, the, in the late 60s and early 70s, I was constantly aware that, that there were good churches in this town, but affecting such a small, minute percentage of the population of Aspen, let alone tourists. But then this chapel came into being, and I knew what their purposes were, and I thought, well, something's got to be done to have a broader approach. So we see this chapel. I see this chapel as kind of the chapel uh, of, for Aspen, like Aspen's our college campus, and we're the college chapel, and just have a broader approach to it all. It was wonderful uh, to be hired as a director here in 1978, the early part of 1970, and they really were desperate. There wasn't anyone connected with the chapel at the time, uh, and there wasn't any money, and I said, well, that's okay. We'll see what we can do. But the chapel has, over the past 47 years, this chapel has really called upon hundreds of open-minded spiritual leaders, just as stated in the 1968 vision statement. 
And because of this chapel and all the different leaders and all the participants, if I may say personally, I have gained a much bigger picture and better view of religion, of spirituality, and of life itself. Hopefully, we've all done this together. We are continuing this journey in which EMO started, a bigger view. If I may say so, I feel better about being me because of simply being here at this, at this chapel. Um, Lee Etheridge is here, Carolyn's daughter, and she has a daughter named Kayla. And, and not, it was just a, a, about a month or two ago, and I don't know where it came from. Uh, she just said, well, do you like being Greg Anderson? <laughs> I said, what a question to ask. She's downstairs right now. And I never really knew how to answer that. I said, well, yeah, I was at the chapel. And I said, well, I think I like being Greg Anderson, but I, I think I like myself more when I'm, when I'm here and, and, and what the chapel has done for me. And I hope that has been that way for you as well, that you feel better about yourself. It has a great deal to do with seeing a bigger picture of religion and faith, and this can lead to a bigger picture of life. I feel a certain, what should I say, inner comfort and security through my experiences here. It is because of all the incredible and caring people that I've experienced here. We do have a very clear purpose, and this is magnified with the loving and faithful people behind this purpose. I am so grateful that so many people are still here and hanging on, and, and the staff, and, and everyone, and the board members, and the trustees. It, to carry on this tradition is so important, especially today. Now, it also has to do with our progressive theology and redefining spiritual values and perspectives, as it says in a vision statement. Redefining spiritual values. It has to do with a bigger picture of God. My image of God has grown from 1978 to 2016, and I hope others has as well. I still love the title of a 20-minute video I saw at the Aspen Institute about 12 years ago by Rabbi Erwin Kula, entitled, it's a provocative title, Time for a New God. <laughs> I think that really means time for a new perspective of God than the very old and ancient one that's not working for many people in this world today. One of religion's great problems, or perhaps our Judeo-Christian religious problem, is our overly anthropomorphizing of God. You want me to say that again? Overly anthropomorphizing of God. We're making God in our image. I believe in God, or lately I like to say something. But what we know of God is really but human projections. God is a name we have simply used to describe this creator, this essence, this reality, this ground of being, this something. As I have often said, God probably does not know God's name is God or Yahweh, or Jehovah, Allah, etc. Lately, I've been using the word, as I said, something in the place of God. I guess that's because the name God can have too many limiting connotations with it. Lao Tzu further states that the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. The God that can be named is not the eternal God. 
The Tao Te Ching states that those who think they know do not know. It is only those who know that they do not know who know. Please explain that to me during the reception. But I think we're really not, ultimately, we're really not supposed to know, ultimately. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians reminds us that our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecy is imperfect. We only see in a mirror dimly, but when the perfect comes, we shall know. Rabbi Rami Shapiro has helped me a great deal with a bigger view of God. He writes, knowing God as the whole and the part, and knowing that there is a knowing behind this knowing, that is the greater God of which nothing can be said, frees one from imagining that any one name of God is truer than any other name. That's what Rami Shapiro said. Just think of what E.M. Yost was thinking many, many years before that. Because you know that no name is exclusively God, you are free from having to surrender yourself to any one name or narrow system of belief. You are open to wisdom from wherever it may exist, because it does. I loved sitting in this chapel uh, just a few weeks ago when we had the Buddhist monks here and sitting here and they're in the, on the carpet here and a Buddhist professor from Emory, our new chaplain, Nicholas, two rabbis, our own rabbi, David Siegel, and a visiting rabbi from New York. It was a visiting rabbi who said at this time another provocative statement, which was, God does not exist. And then there's this poignant pause. Then he said this, God is existence. Think about that. God is existence. Paul Tillich, many years ago, said, God is the ground of being. And that has always stayed with me. Later in his life, Paul Tillich, a great theologian, also referred to this ground of being as the ultimate concern. Think about that one. The ultimate concern. How are we living together on this planet? What is that spirit of God within us which is benevolent that we must carry forth, that is within us? Who invented this concept of love and peace and togetherness? Where did that come from? It has probably a source, its ultimate concern. Rabbi Rami also said that God is reality, all of reality. God is the sum of the parts plus The writer of the epistle of John said, God is love. Now, this is one of the few biblical passages that I happen to take very literally. God is love, period. Love is God. I saw a phrase not long ago which stated, if you cannot see God in all, you cannot see God at all. I think I have spent my life simply trying to make religion real. Religion and science must go hand in hand. It began for me, I think, maybe before that, but with a class on science and religion at Carleton College, Northfield, Minnesota. It should never be a matter of choice. In order for this to happen, there has to be as big of a picture of religion and God equal to the size of the entire universe. 
I will never forget listening to Stephen Hawking in person here at the Institute talk about the universe as random or determined. It was entitled, Does God Throw Dice in Black Holes? It's still a major question for religion and science. Are we a fluke or is there intentionality? Is there a pattern? Is there a design? Is there a purpose or nothing? Like Stephen Hawking at the end of that message, as someone called him, he believed that something is determined. He said at that time, this is 20 years ago perhaps, that he believes in God as someone asked, but not a personal God or what I would say an overly anthropomorphized God. Be more open to that. You can't have God in your own hip pocket or in your own religion. Isn't it interesting that we often think of the universe as infinite and God as infinite? We've said before God, we've said before that God is infinite, but now consider God is the universe, and we are part of that universe. Albeit maybe a very small part, we are part of God. Maybe a very small part, but we're still of God, part of love, part of God, of love. I love, of course, Albert Schweitzer's term, reverence for life. He doesn't say reverence for God or for Jesus, although he certainly was an ordained minister, Lutheran minister. Uh, Nobel Peace Prize winner, reverence for life, for all of life, and to revere that on a day-to-day basis. Reverence for all of God's creatures, all of God's people. Reverence. A great book about a bigger God is by Karen Armstrong, entitled A History of God. I highly recommend it. Actually, it's a it's a little, it's, it, it is like it sounds. It's a little heavy duty. <laughs> a history of God is very, very good. Karen Armstrong has had her own journey from being a, a, a traditional nun to being a professor of, of religion in her own study and where she has grown and, and how she has commented of her conservative background to become more liberated today. Now, if you don't want to have the book, it's a, it, the book's been around for a while, you can get the movie. <laughs> Uh, Literally, there's a DVD uh, that I have used in the confirmation class for a number of years. It's a great DVD, and I would suggest that. Besides talking about a bigger God, we've also discussed at great length a bigger Jesus. In one sense, we might say that we are talking about the history of God and the history of Jesus. Without Albert Schweitzer wrote a book, uh, The Quest for the Historical Jesus. Without going into much detail about this, as I have done for decades, let me just say that our purpose is to discover the real Jesus, the historical Jesus, not just the biblical Christ, although it's important to know that too. This historical Jesus is a bigger picture in that it is a much more accurate picture. We spent a great deal of time sorting this out. And because of this, Jesus has also become more real than the mythological biblical Christ. God and Jesus can, can become more real and personal for, for us as long as we have a bigger picture and better view of both. I feel closer to this Jesus as a real historical person than a mythological God. A bigger picture of a religion has allowed me to be more liberated personally. I feel more confident, comfortable, compassionate, with the perspective of life as presented at, that has been presented over all these years at this chapel. So many people, and we continue to do that. I'm grateful. 
I feel a sense of greater freedom from primitive and encumbered religion. I'm free to be fully part of life in every way without any labels of religious or secular life as separate. Life is not to be divided into certain compartments, and that includes religion. I was at the Lynchburg airport coming home from Aspen in July, and someone in the line there in the security line turned around and said, are you a preacher? <laughs> Does it that look that obvious? <laughs> Why would he say that? Out of the blue, he was talking to people, and he looked at me and said, are you a preacher? Oh, man. <laughs> Why? Um, and I, I thought about it, and I said, uh, No. <laughs> I was in Lynchburg, Virginia. I'm not going to be one of the southern, you know, evangelical ministers. And I don't like the word preacher, so I said no. And I left it at that. But I did say, why did you ask? He said, well, I don't know. I've just met so many preachers here, and you look like one of them. (laughs) Why? I've been in touch lately with my... uh, one of my favorite high school English teachers and drama director, I was in a lot of plays in high school, it was from a Christian high school I attended in Minneapolis. It was a private school. Uh, I'd give you the name, but then you'd, I'll give you the name so you can laugh at that too. You see, you've got to be from Minneapolis to not laugh. Uh, the school was called Minnehaha Academy. Now, if you're from Minneapolis, that's a common name, Minnehaha, Hiawatha. Minnehaha is Laughing Waters, and it was on the, this school was right on the banks of the Mississippi River. It was called Minnehaha Academy. It was a good school. And actually, I've got my 50th reunion coming up, but I'm not going. I'm staying here to do a large wedding, which I made out of choice. But I thought if I go back to that reunion, I haven't seen a lot of people for 50 years, and I say, well, what, you know, what they're going to do at a reunion, they're going to say, well, what do you do? What am I going to say? Uh, well, I'm a minister, and then I'm going to be put in some sort of bag. I can only say that I'm a minister at this Aspen Chapel or because of Aspen. That I feel great about. Anyway, my teacher is named Mr. Nordstrom, but he said I could now call him Jerry after 50 years. He's been working on a manuscript and pretty much done, entitled, Why I Don't Go to Church Anymore. And subtitled, Liberation from Mythology, Superstition, and Fear. We have the same theological views, both of us moving from more conservative to more open, progressive theology and have shared our mutual freedom from oppressive, conservative religion. Listen to this great statement he wrote in his manuscript. For myself, having at least, having at last set aside the things I can no longer believe, I feel liberated. All those ancient myths and superstitions, all those rationalizations, all those ecclesiastical expectations and contrived regulations, gone. Instead, I am at peace, confident in what I see as real. I am no longer afraid of what is unknown or unknowable. This is the same freedom I feel for me, and it's because of this chapel, or I should say it's from all the teachers and people who are part of this chapel. Now, Jerry Nordstrom and his wife listened to the live stream when I spoke this past April and quoted him as well. And he emailed this compliment back to me the same day. Remember his title of his book. And so he writes, well, it's been quite a few years since Julie and I sat through a Sunday morning church service. But if we lived in Aspen, 
that pattern would change, especially if other services were like the one we saw today. What we heard today makes it clear that you've created, developed, and are now perpetuating in Aspen Chapel, what ought to be the model for churches everywhere. Most people in mainstream churches have given up. Do we have something to say to them? I certainly hope so. Maybe we really do. I do know that most mainstream denominations are struggling to stay alive. In a few weeks from today, I'll be talking to about 150 other clergy about this chapel at a church conference in Snowmass Village. It is good to look at a bigger picture, psychologically and sociologically as well. Now, here's just one quick example about that. We've been watching athletes compete for gold, silver, and bronze for two weeks. For so many, it's all about winning, and a tragedy if you do not. But for many others, as we've heard, it's just about being there and being part of the Olympics. And there's even something bigger than winning, and that still is loving. We love to hear the -the behind-the-scenes stories of perseverance, kindness, and love in the athletes and at the Olympics. And, of course, we love the story of Nikki Hamlin of New Zealand and Amy D'Agostino of the United States during that 5,000-meter race in Rio. Nikki falls, and Abby trips over her and is hurt worse. At first, Abby helps Nikki to get up, and then they try to keep going. And then Nikki tries to help Abby as she even has a, a, a terrible knee injury. They somehow finish the race and embrace. The New York Post wrote this, that they did not get the gold medal, but demonstrated hearts of gold. This is the bigger picture, knowing that this something in life is still present, and you're okay no matter what, no matter how you have fallen down. You are okay, and get up and just do your best. Let go, let be, let love. The great theologian, talk show host, Ellen DeGeneres said, (laughs) I work really hard at trying to see the big picture and not getting stuck in ego. I believe we we are all put on this planet for a purpose, and we all have a different purpose. When you connect with that love and that compassion, is when everything unfolds and you're living life to the fullest. I've heard many complimentary comments about how I have given to the chapel in my life, and I'm grateful for this, but I am pretty sure that I have even received far more than I have have given. It is because of all the wonderful people here. I am so blessed. We are so blessed. This is one big little chapel with one big message and one big picture to share for all our little lives. And this makes me feel very, very good. And I hope it does for you as well. Amen.